Welcome to the Bonner Breakdown. The Bonner Breakdown is here for conversation, connection, and to find things to celebrate. So get your glass, cup, or mug ready as we celebrate with a cheers to the good report. In today's episode, we have Michael Tracy, a nationally recognized independent journalist who's been published in major national publications. Michael is traveling across the U.S. reporting on the impacts of the BLM protests. He joins us for a rare sit-down interview to discuss his path in journalism and his current projects. You can find out more about this podcast at bonnerbreakdown.com. You can also support the show and get access to our host's afterthoughts for this episode on patreon.com slash bonnerbreakdown. We hope that you enjoy today's conversation. Cool. Well, Michael Tracy, welcome to the Bonner Breakdown. You're making your trek across this yeah. this great nation. So awesome to have you on, man. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Interesting setting we're in. Yeah, and yeah. I like the local hyper local vibe. To use a cliche that used to be associated with innovations <laughs> in journalism. That, yeah, hyper local. That's right. Yeah, that's but, right. But this is kind of you know, hyper local. I mean. Yeah. Sandpoint, Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. Not where you necessarily expect to be doing a nationally, or I guess, I don't know what orientation we're going to have, but even if we talk about national issues. Yeah, sure absolutely. We, we, do. I, we I, do. But I like how people can start up their own little mm-hmm. ad hoc <laughs> shows, even yeah. in Sandpoint, Idaho. It's yeah. sort of an underappreciated aspect of contemporary absolutely. media culture that yeah. I guess we can kind of I'm lose kind of, sight of i'm kind of a media junkie so okay. you know we'll, we'll we'll dig into it i i really um was glad that that uh, you know i follow you on twitter which is how i even knew you were coming across the nation right. and uh said hey or if you're coming into sandpoint let's let's hopefully connect so i really appreciate you making the time and coming on up here and hopefully your contacts have been good and and yeah such so i know you've talked to a few people maybe i just one or two. i just got done chatting with a couple gentlemen uh-huh. who you yeah. uh Referred me to, and that was definitely interesting. So. I, I have no doubt. Yeah. I have no doubt. It <laughs> they, was uh, interesting. So. They are quite the characters. Uh-huh. Yep. Come on. Um, yeah. Well, so we start off each episode with what we call the good report. And yeah. uh, and so one of the things that, that I is a frustration of mine is that, it, you know, most media pretty rarely get good news. You know, like, it's not really a focus. It's always, here's all the problems and, and here's what's happening. So, you know, let's make it personal. This is this whole thing being hyper-local. You know, we want to make sure it's personal. Right. Uh, yeah. So so do you have any good reports or anything that you want to share? Because you've not seen a lot of good news lately. Yeah, I was saying that the reason why I embarked on this trip in the first place was not necessarily to encounter the most <laughs> optimistic right. stories. Because, obviously, we, we've underwent... Uh, some serious writing recently and there's a raging pandemic. So not everybody's in the best spirits. However, when you made me search my memory, there are some instances that I could possibly come up with of people who are just maintaining a positive outlook, even Mm. in the midst of some difficult circumstances. So I'm thinking back to a, fellow that I happened across in Minneapolis who just struck me as having a glass half full demeanor, even (laughs) though he was not able to go out and purchase basic amenities anymore, at least for the time being, because his local grocery was shuttered in in Minneapolis. Um, But he said, you know, we're going to get 
through it. We know we're he do just sort of strident in his insistence on adopting the most positive possible outlook on the situation. Mm-hmm. And there are times where that can get into a little bit of schmaltzy territory, like a Joel <laughs> Austin type who's yeah, just sure, yeah. doing this always, sort of po- power, always, positive always, thinking yeah. kind of chicanery. <clears throat> yeah. And I don't know <laughs> if that necessarily always appeals to me, but if you're just in- talking about some random person on the street who would have no reason to put on a happy face for, he has no commercial incentive or anything, but right. has that attitude. Yeah, just carries it, right? Just carries it sort yeah, of organically. Cool. Then yeah. that that's something which I do feel has, has, has value. And it wasn't like a specific thing that he said. It was just his air. You know, it was just a few sort of just anecdotal tidbits that he gave about how people are making the best of a, really bad situation, situation that yeah. is not the greatest, mm-hmm. particularly in, in Minneapolis. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, from a personal standpoint, mm-hmm. because I'm, the, the hotel rates are currently low around the country hey. because people aren't traveling as much. So right. that's a boon to me in yeah. terms of my expenditures. Uh-huh. It's a little bit of a shallow <laughs> response, but, you know, it, it does. It adds up. So, yeah, well, good. That's good. We uh, uh, I would say, you know, having having some people around every once in a while that can just um, find the silver lining. You know, I mean, yeah. that's that's always nice to have around. I, I people say that I'm the eternal optimist type of person as well. So yeah. almost always another silver lining on. that occurs to me is I don't know if you happen to see this on, on Twitter today or yesterday, but I have found that there are prominent conservatives now, the governor of Mississippi, for example, mm-hmm. who's giving a rational perspective on how to think about the pandemic, especially in their state where now it's surging. Um, so Tate Reeves was the governor of, of, of Mississippi. And I just thought that he, he did a thread mm-hmm. um, that to me was eminently reasonable where he's saying, you know, look, for people who don't want to wear masks, who have some aversion to it, whether it's ideological, whether it's just practical, whatever right. their reason, do not berate them. Don't hector them. Don't mock right. them because that's not going to achieve your claimed desired result, which is to encourage them to wear a mask. You're just going to harden their resolve against masks. Right. And likewise, that's... don't mock or ridicule people who do wear masks if you feel yep. like it's yeah. foolish for whatever reason. Yeah. So I like the idea of trying to foster a common ground around something that should not be politicized, should not be Correct. partisan, yeah. but now tediously is. Yeah, it I, is. So, I, so, so it's heartening to see people especially of a conservative outlook like like that particular uh-huh. governor putting out a like unifying message it's kind of yep. a shame that a unifying message was even needed in the first place but it is so yeah that's it. he's it's filled a tough, a void with it, that. i mean we just live in such a tough uh politicized you know absolutely polarized world right now so uh even you know masks is the thing i i said on the show a couple of weeks ago i think that if if you're really pro um you know, or anti-masks and you're, you want your own personal civil liberties to be maintained, then don't get mad at people who are wearing masks. You know, like there's no, like, just let it be. Just, yeah. just let it be. Um, my good report was that the lines at Silverwood today were really short. I heard that day. actually. I it heard rumors. Wonderful. It was wonderful. Of course, you know, COVID-19 means that Silverwood being you the, got let, this amusement local park. amusement yeah. park, right? Like about 20 minutes south of here. Yeah. I and, saw it uh, I, on my way here. I was, uh-huh. But I didn't, I was a little bit, 
perplexed, not perplexed, but I just noted that there didn't seem to be a whole lot of action as I was passing by. So I wondered if it had been shut down or if maybe there was less activity or something. But I, it, I, it, it was, there, I didn't see the roller coaster in on route as I was passing by. Yeah, yeah. You got to catch the timing on that. But I, I'll tell you, the uh, all the rides were open. The water park was open. Uh, it was, you know, for a day hitting 80 up here in North Idaho, which is nice. Like we, people get excited when you get above the eighties, everybody goes to the water park at Silverwood. And it was, uh, it was like no lines. It was express lane the whole time. It was great. So, uh, my little brother's in from, from Oregon. And so we, we went and, and, uh, did a, me, we took our, both of our daughters up and just played all day, which was a ton of fun. So it's nice. I think if me as just one guy went and just played by myself in the water park, that might raise some eyebrows. So, you know, it might, it might, (laughs) yeah, you could probably find other, I'll find other activities. You know, the single guy riding on the last, the last chair on all the coasters over and over after a while. You know, that guy's probably got some internal issues to Yes. Yes. And, and he just keeps spraying everybody on the bumper cars. So. Yeah, not good. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't need to be that it guy. Is, it is a blast. It's a lot of fun. So we had, we had a blast. I'm, I'm just really glad that we have that so close. Um, you know, living up here, it's just a ton of fun. So yeah, I mean, and so I guess an Idaho privilege is nice summer weather, yeah. low humidity, yeah. no humidity. It seems. Yep. yep. Whereas so, other parts of the country, you're just going to be dying. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so cheers, man. Cheers to the good report. Yes. There we go. I think you already finished yours. Oh. Now it's official. Okay. okay. <laughs> so yeah, I always say it tastes better together, right? So having some good news. Um, so Michael, I want to, I wanted to get a little bit of your story. So I've been, I've been digging through what I can find historically. Um, and, um, it's historically like, that historically. kind of elevates my stature Come on, there beyond you go. <laughs> where it is needed. <laughs> right, I'm not good. a historical figure. Yes. Of any kind. Yes. And, and, uh, uh, so tell us, tell us a little bit about your story and where, what's, what is no. So there's two things. Number one, like, where are you from? Um, kind of like, what's your, what was kind of your, your MO growing up and any, anything you want to share about that? And then kind of what got you in the field that you're in? My M.O. growing up? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> My M.O. growing up, I guess, was... I mean, you're East Coast. East Coast, yeah. Right? I grew from, up in New York. I'm from New Jersey. New Jersey, okay. New Jersey. So, uh, suburb of New York City. Okay. Uh, right now, I live in Jersey City. Okay. New Jersey, which is right over the river. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I'm trying. I guess I should figure out a, ma- a way to more cleverly distill my story so mm-hmm. that people don't aren't bored to tears. I mean, I feel like, uh, so I'll move you along. If okay. It's okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I was, uh, I was definitely from an early age interested in, in debate argumentation, okay. uh, learning about history and politics. Like an obnoxious example that I can give is that <laughs> I was in an AP government and politics class in high school. Yeah. And I just never had to study for anything ever because I, I knew it all just from my leisure time consuming all the pertinent Come on, information. Awesome. Yeah. I see. It's not awesome. It's a little bit lame, but it has, if you're into a very narrow aspect of potential life choices, then it's useful. Um, and then I, so when I took the AP in politics exam, 
I got the highest score ever recorded on the exam, except for one guy who I'm still resentful of, who was a year ahead I, of me. As you should. But I just didn't have to study for it because it was just organic. It was just naturally what I was gravitating toward in my free time. Right. Right. So I guess I don't know that I ever consciously had this thought, but in hindsight, I get what I think I probably did was just move in the direction of being able to do that. Which I would okay. do for free, but also get compensated. Come on, that's for great. It. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's sort of what I've cobbled together in terms of a livelihood uh-huh. At, uh-huh. at this point. So where did you start? Like, oh, so tell me about school, college. Did yeah, you go to college. Yeah, I went to college. I went to public high public school in New Jersey, then a public liberal arts school in uh, New Jersey, which nobody's ever heard of. So I don't even bother giving the name. But it's, yeah, yeah. it was a relatively good deal. Um, didn't. Go to graduate school, despite the protestations of people who thought that if I didn't, it would be a disaster and I would be, I don't know, living under a bridge or something. But yeah. I'm kind of glad that I'm not saddled with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. That's smart. Especially because in journalism now, it's a constant learning experience. Like if you're, mm-hmm. if you're, a, if you're a preternatural learner, if that's just what Correct. you're driven yeah. and impelled to do, then journalism gives you an excuse to do that every day. Right. And in a in venues that wouldn't be accessible to you necessarily in like a formal academic right set yeah, yeah yeah um so going and talking to people interviewing you know i like so for example i interviewed pretty much every democratic presidential primary candidate who ran this year right and you know not necessarily all always sit down extended interviews but you know in scrums or you just encounter them someplace uh-huh. and like an academic is probably not going to have that opportunity. Correct, yeah. And you're still, I'm still learning from it. I'm still uh-huh. like building a foundation of knowledge from that. Um, so this is sort of my own personal self-directed graduate school. I guess. No, that's so great. Yeah. Well, and I think that you have to, you know, I think if you're really going to be the best at something, not saying that your aim is to be the best, but you know, if you're really going to succeed or excel at something, you have to get on the ground. Oh yeah. You, and you, it's a, it's a huge problem in journalism in particular. And I guess media, culture which sure. is that it gets very insular it gets to the point where a lot of people in the media are writing for one another they're seeking peer approval yeah that's their primary objective in terms of what they produce and i feel like that just inevitably creates a very myopic yeah uh viewpoint that um, is sadly within the mainstream of American media culture. Uh-huh. I mean, it's not that complicated for me, I guess when we're jumping ahead, but it's not that no, complicated for, it, yeah. for me to ru- just drive around the country, talk to people who were impacted by a historically significant event, yep. get the reactions, synthesize it, put some stuff on YouTube, write some articles here and there. Like it's not rocket science. Right. Yeah. And yet it just seems like almost a foreign concept to it a lot really of people is, in isn't it? the media yeah. where it should be just instinctual. Uh, it shouldn't be something that requires a whole lot of <laughs> intensive thought processes right. to occur to you to do. And yet, you know, when I was in Minneapolis hmm. uh, for 10 days, almost two weeks, I would get reactions from people from around the U.S. and around the world, actually. Just because I did a one Twitter thread. I mean, I've done some articles as well, but uh-huh. when I was initially there just kind of gathering information, I did a Twitter thread with some, you know, accompanying YouTube videos, et cetera, just kind of documenting what happened. And I got people telling me that they were just stunned that they hadn't heard about it. Like, how is it that random people in the United States who are relatively attuned to news coverage wouldn't have known that in a major American metropolis, 
is at least partially in ruins. So I'm not going to exaggerate and say the entire place is like no, this. No, but yeah. That hellscape necessarily. But you know, it is very jarring to go around Minneapolis and have their, the entire blocks that are just destroyed. Right. Um, and people just hadn't heard of it. So that, that, that struck me as very telling as to the deficit of coverage around what you think would be a very significant Correct. Yeah. issue. And, and if I'm, if it it's left to me with my dopey Twitter thread to <laughs> provide that information, that, that oh, speak, there, there's something structurally yeah. wrong there. I, I absolutely. What about the, what about this? Um, what about this concept of um, you, you talk about reporting journalists reporting for the sake of their peers. Right. And you know, when you, you seem to have, have positioned yourself to be a little bit peerless. Hmm. I don't know that I would necessarily adopt Independent. that label. Yeah, because peerless sounds a little bit self Right, but, but 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 the point point is that you're not trying to impress other people with your writing. No, I don't think because I, I'm not writing for an audience of media peers. I'm not writing so I can right. go have drinks with a bunch of cool. You know, big name, uh, yeah, whatever's. urban dwellers in yeah. New York or DC. Not to say that I don't know some of them. I know mm-hmm. you know a fair amount of media people sure. get along fine with them. It's not that I necessarily resent any single one of them on an individual level, although I do in certain cases that we don't have to get into. Um, <laughs> but like that's just sure. not what drives me. It doesn't yeah. drive gaining their approval. Doesn't drive me. And I feel like if you allow that to drive you, it's going to be right. corrupting. Um, because what you should at least, I think, aspire to do is inform a wider mass of the public than the narrow segment of people who happen to live, eat, and breathe mm-hmm. political commentary and right. coverage. Like, you don't right. want to necessarily tailor what your, your output to their sensibilities because that is just going to skew how you think yep. and what you say. And how you just conceptualize the broader world, and I feel like a lot of a lot of journalists and media and people. I mean, even the the, the distinction between journalism and media is now so uh, porous because everybody who pro- is a content producer now is like can technically, I guess, declare themselves a journalist, which is fine. Yeah, but I feel like a lot of them lack the self awareness to, mm. to 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 account for their own biases and to take active steps that could ameliorate. Yeah. Those biases. Like, right. I'm not free of biases. We all have them. Right. But but yep. I, I at least strive to maintain a level of cognizance right. that would enable me to surmount those biases so I'm not hobbled by them. Okay. And I yeah. just feel like that's not something that most, most people in the media even attempt to do. I would agree. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's pretty apparent to a lot of people that it's like... Like the 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 ability to um, look at look at situations or even have a curiosity about situations like this. The I was picturing the the situation in Minneapolis. The the aftermath of those riots would have been a sixty minutes hour long episode. Absolutely, it would have been this huge follow up story. Where are the hum- Where are the very emotionally intensive human interest stories coming out of Minneapolis? I. It doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, I mean, I have some theories as to why okay. those stories haven't come about, mm-hmm. and it doesn't. None of them, none of those theories reflect well on the media. I, okay, but, you know, <laughs> and I have a piece coming out about 
actually two pieces coming out about this hopefully this week. Um, but you know, I think there's a sub. So, so, so first of all, let's establish that you're absolutely right, which is that a major American metropolis undergoing what appeared to have been the worst riots in its entire history, entire history. Yep. Would of course beget some after the fact reportage elucidating the experiences of the residents of right. the business owners who were had their you know hair salons and barbershops mm-hmm. burned down and um, there was like a little bit little music store that I saw that was um, uh, Vietnamese which may never open again mm-hmm. and a lot of them a lot of them this is another wrinkle in the story a lot most if not all not all but many maybe majority of the businesses that are now shuttered, maybe permanently shuttered, or even if they're open, have had their business drastically reduced, so they're in dire straits economically. So many of them are minority-owned businesses. So you think that would be a formula that would draw the interest of the media content producers, where they could say, oh, let's highlight these striving, industrious minorities, many first-generation immigrants who founded these small businesses... Mm. Trying to provide for themselves, improving their neighborhoods in a lot of hmm. respects, increasing economic activity, and so and so forth. Let's highlight them. Let's just tell their stories, and mm-hmm. you see almost none of it. And there are some semi-sinister explanations for that. One of which is that a lot of people in the media, even if they don't consciously articulate it, or even if they would never admit it in public, they probably do it over drinks. But they feel as though if they were to properly report on, if they were pro- were to give the full scope of what transpired in Minneapolis, and it's not just Minneapolis. I mean, you should see right. some places in Chicago. Wow. Even Milwaukee, New York, Philadelphia. And I still have, I, I even heard that there was something in Spokane. Uh, yeah, I'm not, I, I haven't heard yeah, much Which I, it, I haven't yeah. seen yet, so I shouldn't yeah. even preempt that, but it's possible. Um if they were to highlight any of this, number one, they they are they fear that it would delegitimize the movement, quote unquote, quote unquote, because who mm-hmm. can even define what this movement necessarily consists of? It's very people nebulous. are trying. <laughs> you try as you might, yeah. but it's so. Yeah, I mean, it's really a tough one. I mean, the New York Times declared last week that it could be the largest movement ever, and just in terms of the number of people who have protested. In the past six weeks. Okay, yeah. So the 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 highest, the largest quantity of people who have ever done street demonstrations could right. have been the last six weeks. Okay, so we're in a right. pretty interesting period then, if that's yeah. true. Yeah. And I have no reason to doubt that that's true. That seems actually very much plausible to me that that's at least just roughly speaking. You know, it seems reasonable. Technically speaking, right? accurate, accurate. Yeah. 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 Um, they feel as though they, they and they're personally invested in the moral righteousness of the movement therefore to unearth or to shine light on aspects of the movement that are not healthy that are not (laughs) you know (laughs) the greatest thing they feel like that's going to delegitimize the movement and that is unacceptable to them in tandem with that is that they feel as though it could help trump there you go that's the question i was just gonna ask to depict the lawlessness or what have you sure that was very much on display in so many American cities, not just 
big cities, smaller, mid-sized cities, like Green Bay, Wisconsin, hmm. Fort Wayne, Indiana. Yeah. I, I saw the aftermath of the riots. Now, it's nothing Chicago scale, but still, per the standards of... That town. Uh, that town. Like it's Atlantic huge. City, New Jersey, there were riots. Um, they feel as though that would be that would bolster Trump. And that's the worst offense that many in the media could ever even fathom committing, that you somehow right. enhance Trump's electoral prospects. Right. Now, the irony there is that I don't think it even would necessarily yeah. enhance Trump's electoral aspects. He hasn't found a way to leverage this societal <laughs> upheaval to his own political advantage, which is a pretty pretty pathetic for a fascist if he actually is a fascist, which I don't think he is. Uh, yeah. But if the if it, the but but this would be the oper- most opportune yeah, time to go after this would be it. I totally agree with you on that. One one of the one of the things that that I think with this this whole concept we'll get you we'll get you some more water. Oh that's all right. So hey, I'll me, just uh can you Grab him some, some. Just take his cup. I don't want to have your. We'll we'll edit it out. No okay. <laughs> yeah, you can just grab it. Yep. Awesome. So. <coughs> so the P- thing people like seeing these random uh, interruptions where I'm getting water. So maybe yeah. you shouldn't even. Edit okay. It out. Hey, we'll leave it in. Okay. Because Lenny's a rock star. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, one of the things with, um, I look at all these opportunities that if. I don't know if he's not serious about re-election or, or what, but there's so many opportunities for an absolute. Um, like we had this moment for about three days Thank before you. the riots started, where the country was 100 percent unified around the killing of George Floyd. Right, and ever there was no like. I mean, I heard of one person being like, we should wait to hear what the facts say. You know, most everybody was like, yeah. this is a like cop. But it was a very military, rare moment of unanimity. Uh, but, but to let that slide by, to me, like, like I think Trump's an instinctual animal. Mm-hmm. Like, he just operates on instinct. And I'm like, what happened there? Because he usually picks up free stuff. Like, if it's just on the table, he grabs it. I'm like, wow, okay, he didn't pick that up. And he's not picking this up. Like, there's all these opportunities that even, even to address it in a way that would bring unity as a national leader. There's some things you could do. He's just not. He's just not going for I it. I just don't think that's really. It's not his mo. A mode that is accessible to him. Mm. Uh, I think, and when he does try to do that, like mm-hmm. when his Republican Republican establishment speechwriters hand him talking points encouraging national unity it doesn't seem quite right mm. it doesn't seem natural okay his his natural mode is like just ranting at a yeah. rally or yeah. something well and he tweeting. goes back he goes back to his bullet points that he's got listed in his head that he you know it seems like he yeah but once, goes but back once to that this. national once that moment of possible national unity was lost or squandered or oh, what yeah. have you and then you have the riots and then you have this very stark outbreak of left-wing activist excess Mm -hmm. then somebody who actually is a committed (laughs) fascist right or authoritarian or or something could have been able to marshal that in a direction that would that would be a boon to his political prospects right but trump is just so disorganized cognitively and politically Hmm. that it was an opportunity seemingly lost even when i go to some of these places right in the uh in chicago and milwaukee minneapolis especially other places you could imagine a certain type of republican 
traveling, visiting these places, surveying some of the wreckage, speaking yeah. to some of the homeowners who were in fear for their lives, speaking to the small business owners who have been shattered, speaking, and I'm sure you could also pay a visit to the, you know, the, the police union or whatever, which I guess Trump is maybe a little bit more inclined to do. But, you know, if you, he's obviously interested in boosting his support, at least marginally among black voters, among non-white voters. Mm -hmm. And actually the polls are Mm -hmm. showing now that he's losing support among white voters, but gaining to a small extent, but still not wholly insignificant among non-white voters, which is not really the... It's hard to wrap wrap your head around. Not really what you'd expect if you were just consuming the predominant media narratives, right? Right, right, yeah. But just go, Mm. go to Minneapolis... Tour some of these neighborhoods. I could show you where they are. Not that I'm necessarily going to well, be the guide for Trump, can, but like people can check out your YouTube channel because yeah. you actually have some great interviews on there, uh, conversations with people on the ground. Yeah. Um, and and it was so why not talk to me? Really you could, the point is you could imagine a certain kind of Republican doing that and tapping into a sentiment that is definitely extant within certain segments of these non-white urban communities a lot of minorities are what you might call small c conservative yeah i totally agree which yep and and that that perspective almost never gets represented in the popular media depictions well the the minorities that they bring on that they bring on like a cnn or msnbc or something they're professional activists or operatives yes and there's a huge gulf between how they perceive events like riots and protests well, I will, and how your average Joe or Jane in where one of these cities perceives them. And yet, and those are the people who could conceivably, and maybe in a different universe, gravitate toward a, 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 a Republican candidate who's emphasizing law and order, who's emphasizing personal responsibility, economic mobility, et cetera. Uh-huh. But for whatever reason, that's just not a, available to Trump. No, it's not. But yeah, and it was interesting because I, I have a friend who's a pastor, a black pastor in California. Um, and, um, and he's, you know, Democrat votes Democrat. And so, and I'm having this conversation with him and he's giving me all the talking points about Trump that he's heard. I'm like, go watch his UN speech, you know? So just like, you actually need to listen to like, like, and this was a couple years ago. And he's like, wow, he's against <laughs> globalism. He's pro family. He's like, when he's like, uh, like you're messing with my head now because he's small C conservative. Right. You know, most of the, actually there's a, there's a huge, uh, breadth of, of, uh, minority groups that actually live their life as a small C, you know, conservative. Yeah. Um, and that's, it's, a, it's, it's especially pronounced among, um, first generation immigrants where you're building a life, right? right. So you actually, and you do feel a, a certain type of indebtedness to your adopted right. country and almost get offended on behalf of that country if there are people like saying they want to burn it down and like destroy all its <laughs> symbols and topple all the statues and that kind of thing. It's just yeah. not even, it's not what, yeah. it, it, it doesn't make sense to them because they actively sought out to come to the United yeah. States. Yeah. Um, hmm. And, but but that 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 runs up against other aspects of the Trump persona that they find less uh, right. tolerable. Um, <laughs> sure, which you know is yeah. understandable, right? Yeah, totally, totally. Well, let's let's jump back to you for a second yeah. because I wanted to find out. You know, you, you you what was your first job out of school in journalism? What what did you do? 
my first job out of school in journalism was I'm trying to think back to when I initially so in in college I started my own magazine. Okay. Um, and so I kind of hoodwinked a think tank <laughs> into funding it. <laughs> Good um, for you. Which I probably should admit, although maybe a statute of limitations is passed. Yeah, well, um, hoodwink could go a lot of different ways. Yeah, I'll, so, leave, I'll yeah, leave it at that. Just, you know, that's, a, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. not, that's not clear. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the now that you mentioned it, the very first thing that I did was I just freelanced very basic reported articles for a local news site on things like zoning meetings and right. uh, a new skate park opening in the town over uh, a debate over whether to like reduce the speed limit on some intersection or something because a groundhog was killed tragically, uh, which I hadn't thought of in probably 10 years. So uh, thank you for hey, causing me to revisit those wonderful <laughs> memories. Um, and yeah, so that wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't a full-time job, so I would do like odd jobs along with that, like, you know, delivery driver and... Right. Uh, I even at one point, through Craigslist, found a woman who had posted a an ad because she needed a driver because she had gotten a DUI, so she wasn't allowed legally to drive so i would just drove this woman around to all her like what? appointments all day okay i'm thinking not like, not all day like, but like for like you know three or four hours uh every couple days and that was just one thing i did you know that's like, awesome yeah um but then you know the the first job job that i got where i had to just had to go, had to go somewhere full time was the following fall after i graduated that the nation magazine okay um where you know there's a it was an intern. I was an intern, but it was like a, it's like a serious internship program. It's okay. like a full time job where you're there. You're there every day. You're integral to the the editorial process. You're fact checking, and so that gives gives you a, a good. I, th- I feel like people who want to, not that everybody has to get a prestigious internship to enter the field, but if 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 the weight is on your shoulders to make sure that the facts are checked. That sort of instills in you a fidelity to at least factual accuracy that you can right. then bring to doing uh, journalism in all its various forms. Whereas I feel like a lot of people enter the field through like non-professionalized lanes. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with it, but they're a little bit more lackadaisical about uh, the about just adhering to factual accuracy yeah. than I would like. If you're like if you're an alternative media, uh-huh. if you're just like a YouTube guy. Right. I mean, if you, yeah. if you've never laid awake at night worrying that you got a fact wrong or again, it'll be blamed wow. on you and there's a legal right. liability there. I just feel like that's 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 a that's a useful fear to experience. Yeah. And have then carry with you as you go forward. I feel like one of the there are many upsides to the ways in which the journalism and media field has been dispersed or has been expanded to accommodate a whole variety of different um, approaches and, and attitudes. But one downside is, I think, a little bit less of a strict adherence to just basic fact-checking, which is pretty important in the... Yeah, what's happened with that? What's I mean, because it seems like, seems like we've got alternative facts all over the place mm. in most reporting where you can find... Uh, in one story, there's this thing, and then the next story is like, nope, that's totally different. Um, every once in a while, you get a retraction or a correction, 
um, that's buried pretty deep if some of the facts are wrong. But so what's what's happening with that? Because it seems oh. like it's different. I don't, maybe it's not. Maybe it's always been that way. But it seems like the facts are where people seem to be playing, playing pretty loose with the facts in media. Well, I mean, facts are so there should there shouldn't be alternative facts and for something like you know the bureau of labor statistics says that the unemployment rate is is this on this month like that should Uh not be a fact that's up for contestation however you can then shape and characterize those facts given whatever your viewpoint is if you want to advance a certain agenda that's Fine. I mean, there's nothing to stop you from doing that. But in terms of the core fact, the data point, right? That should be something to be. But how you frame the data point can go a lot of different ways, right? Right. Which is Absolutely. which is fine. That's sort of yeah. inherent to, to to journalism or writing opinion, totally. etc. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with that. But I do have a problem when people play fast and loose with the facts themselves, and when they don't feel like they have a responsibility if, if something is going out under their name to ensure. Factual, fa- factual accuracy, and that that is one area where the legacy media still is a, is a, you know that's pretty much a, a a central facet of the legacy media. So there are plenty of problems there, but sometimes I see the alternative media where they don't feel like they have any, they owe their readership or viewership any kind of fidelity to factual accuracy and that I find to be a little annoying. It, I like to yeah, kind of I, I, I like to yeah. kind of muse I'm sorry fuse this the the sensibilities of the alternative media and the legacy media into uh-huh. like a happy medium. Uh-huh. I feel like that's sort of a that maybe is unconsciously what I've pursued <laughs> over the course of my however many years in this arena well it has seemed like a lot of the alternative media is just re-reporting reports that they got from wherever right and they're not checking any of it they're just re-reporting yeah that's definitely a problem i mean um yeah and in terms of my own personal history i always felt like i definitely wanted to cultivate a viewpoint that is unique to me okay but i wanted to couple that with also bring new information into the world through reportorial tactics, right? Which aren't, don't even have to be that complicated. Sometimes I just read primary documents. Um, I'm not, I don't run around proclaiming myself to be some kind of amazing investigative reporter. I've done a little bit of that, but nothing, not, not that, nothing that intensive or impressive. But if you can go just gather documents, interview people, uh, read primary source material mm-hmm. is important. Like I very, very mm. rarely, if I read an article that references a primary source material, I'm not going to trust the secondhand characterization of that material when I can go find it myself, which is almost uh, universally available now on, on the internet. Um, but I wanted to, you know, I want, I want to fuse the, 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 the development of a sensibility that is genuine, mm-hmm. that is the a reflection of my true beliefs, along with a journalistic style that at least strives to bring some new information to the universe, rather than just repackaging or recapitulating what I hear from right various sources. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. So, so you, uh, you. Um, what have been some of the big milestones that you've experienced in your career? Milestones. Like when you were like, oh, I felt good to do that. Like, you know, some, huh. some of those moments where you were like, Hey, that's, that's an achievement. That's an accomplishment. You know? 
Hmm. I haven't really thought about it in terms of milestones because, again, it sounds a little bit self-righteous. Like, oh, I reached a milestone on April something, 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 right? Sure. Um, but, you know, I guess there have been a couple moments. Uh, the, the first time that I went, that I, like, <laughs> finagled my way into a presidential debate, where you actually do have to have, like, a credential. You have to have somebody approve you to enter... And I got into this big sanctum where all the fancy schmancy journalists are congregated and they're sitting <laughs> on their computers. I mean, in, in a way, it doesn't really make sense because the, so the, the first debates of uh, like that that I went to was in um, 2012. Okay. Obama Romney. Yep. In in uh, Denver. Okay. And. You know, once you get in there, you feel like, wow, I'm special. I really, I made it into the big debate. Everybody's going to be watching this tonight, and here I am. But then you enter, and, like, it's just a bunch of media people cramped together sitting on their computers. Like, you're not actually in the debate venue. That's a whole separate ticketing process. You're not sitting there watching Obama Romney debate. <laughs> they just be, you're just in, like, a secondary building or structure that they've set up, and you're watching it on the TV camera. So you might as well just stay home. I mean... The one reason why people do go is they have a spin room right. where they send out the surrogates who you can talk to, which I did. I remember I had an argument with Rudy Giuliani. Um, but like, <laughs> but it, it has a farcical quality to it. So a lot of times what I do in going to these events is not because I necessarily feel like I need to be there because of the ostensible purpose of the event. It's because I want to sort of observe the culture around the event. I want right. to observe like how the media are behaving in their pack mentality and just the whole spectacle or sort of artifice of it, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. so that, huh. I don't, I, that's I, cool, man. Going to a presidential debate. A little, yeah, I guess. You know? Um, you know, people get, people find it really impressive when you go on television, like national TV. Yeah. Yeah. Which, Okay, I mean, I, I, it's not that I don't find some value in doing it. You're obviously reaching a large audience. Right. But people get more excited or furious or praiseworthy than I do. Uh -huh. I mean, for me, it's just like a thing that I occasionally do. Yeah. But for others, like, oh my God, you were on X, Y, or Z show? It's like, they ask you like tons of questions about it. What is it like? You know, I'll answer the questions, but... It's not that big of a deal, at least in terms of my own self. Well, perception. when they start asking you about me, you sitting down here. Well, this now that's now I will that's be where overrun. You really, there you go. You with better people have the wanting right. to know the inside <laughs> scoop of how I got on this show. So, um, so. Uh, you know, one thing that was uh, it's nice when you get something published in print. So I guess the first time that that really happened was um, was heartening. Uh, to see like a column in a newspaper. So even now, even just last week when I had something in the wall street journal, right. I'll still mm -hmm. go out and get the print newspaper just to look at it. Right. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. so the first time that happened, I guess was a quasi milestone. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's, maybe I should kind of rejigger my personal history so that I can identify specific milestones that, better answer well i the, the only reason why i ask is because i think that um uh, i think especially when you're pursuing a career in something there's different places where 
um, you feel like like you've you've attained um, either a level of influence or a level of of credibility um, in your field that allows you the opportunity to um, maybe open up the new door, the next thing. Mm. You know, like there's these plateau moments maybe or these these crescendos where you kind of feel like you you've reached this place and then boom this other thing opens up and so those are the those are the the things so yeah. it seems like you've had a lot of doors open in your career um which has been you know it's 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 pretty fun and you've also closed some doors but you know i think yeah. i think that some have been slammed in my face shut yes. that's fine. fine yeah but but um, you but, but no i don't i, I don't I don't sit and plot out like a grand career strategy. I've never Correct. done that. Yeah, yeah. Everything, every opportunity that's become available has been through a seemingly organic, unplanned process. That's cool. Which I kind of like because it means yeah. that if I just pursue what I'm interested in, yeah, things then things just up. sort of fall into place. Yeah, that's great. And I can have like a sustainable income and all that. So no, that's awesome. Uh, that's just what I'm going to continue uh, doing. But you're right that. I want to say in, in probably around 2016 was when I got was when I crossed a threshold in terms of uh, social media. Okay. Because I was putting forward what I guess people thought was a unique perspective on Trump, on the Democratic primaries, on on Hillary Clinton, everything that went into the 2016 election. And that was definitely, I've reached a crescendo there in terms of uh-huh. the amount of people who seem to be following me and, to taking, and taking into account what I said and identifying me as part of a certain trend. We don't have to necessarily relitigate the whole 2016 election, but it definitely was a little bit of a launch pad but, but in you, terms of people draw, drawing attention and people inquiring with me about doing things yeah. and wanting to hire me to do for, for things. Um, that was sort of an inflection point to use right. the cliche that a lot of politicians use. So now, um, in 2016, um, uh, on a lot of the stuff that pulls up for you online, it shows the Young Turks. Right. Um, and you were you employed there specifically? Were you just an ad hoc writer for them? Or yeah. Or so that was that? an opportunity that arose organically without my ever pursuing it. That was yeah, after cool. 2016. People were more familiar with me because of just my angle of coverage of the election. I did uh-huh. sort of what I'm doing now, where I traveled around to some of the quote swing states and just talked to <laughs> random people. And I was yeah. you know, from the very early on. I'm not tooting my own horn, but I was saying, look, Trump has a likelihood of winning. Yep. yep. Uh, that is being underrated. There was only a handful of people that were willing to call that. Well, I mean, I didn't call it officially I, I, I saying Trump you, will win, but I'm saying... But you look, were willing to look at it. The pundit consensus is incorrect here in terms of his prospects of winning. That's right. what I okay, yeah. did consistently say. And if anybody's watching this and doubts it, I can send you the evidence. Okay, so feel free to email me or message me. Uh-huh. Right to you. Yep, yep. Actually, don't bother. Um, <laughs> Actually, you can, you can look up... You can look up uh, your... A lot of your reporting on that and conversations you had on the Young Turks on YouTube, it's all there. So well, if people want to find find out what you were but the reporting. Young, it's- but the Young Turks came just came just after Trump was elected, so okay. that's, they they became aware of me. I came came onto their radar because of whatever reputation I had established as a result of my 2016 coverage. Uh-huh. So I just got a call one day out of the blue from the founder head of the Young yeah. Turks who Cenk, offered yeah. to yeah Jenk who offered to hire me on the spot. So I said okay. I just did it for a year and a half. Um, so I was a, I was a full-time employee of the Young okay, Turks. Okay, awesome. I did a few other things on the side just in terms of writing. But, you know, my day-to-day attention was on the Young Turks. And I 
part of what I wanted to do because it was a YouTube-based medium for the most Correct. part, but yeah. they were trying to broaden yeah. out there them uh, out institutionally and have some more written reporting, um, uh, different kinds of video reporting, and I did some of that. And I uh, a lot of it I stand by. You can go find it. And I didn't have any impositions on the answer mm-hmm. to what I was allowed to say. Um, but it's also true that it was a little bit incongruous for me as somebody who's not necessarily a orthodox quote unquote progressive with a capital P right. so working at a media outlet that is staunchly and overtly progressive in Correct. terms of its branding. Yeah. But they were fine with that. So I have to yeah. give them credit. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I am, I look back on that period with, satisfaction in terms of what I produced because I had a lot of independence and which is what I, I like. So that's usually my main criteria. That's great. I'm going to do something. Yeah. That's nice. That's yeah. nice. Great. So that ends, uh, and, uh, you've been independent since then that ended in, so that ended in 2018, okay. in the summer of 2018. So roughly two years now. Okay. Um, yeah. So I've been independent since then, which means I, I just write for different publications, Newspapers, magazines, websites, and uh, uh, as of and then I, I I launched a crowdfunding component of that uh, in February of 2019. Okay, so that's worked out well for me. Uh, just because. Oh, no, that's know, great. Yeah, because I, yeah. I don't want to. It's very difficult, if not yeah. impossible, to just rely solely on freelance journalism income. Right. Uh, I tried that for a while pre-2016, and it wasn't pretty. Um, even though I was writing for big publications, you know, New Republic, Rolling Stone, etc., you just can't... Uh, you, you just can't work that into really a viable income unto itself because of the, just the economics of the industry. Um, yeah. Hmm. Or at least I couldn't. Maybe somebody mm-hmm. can. Uh, but now, because you have a reliable revenue stream, mm-hmm. or I have a reliable revenue stream... Through people who have derived value from what I produce, right. willing to give money for it, no strings attached. I don't make any special guarantees to people. I don't give them like tiers of membership or whatever, like some people do on Patreon, which is you know fine if that's your model. Um, you know, but I should have you know a Patreon, a PayPal, Bitcoin, Venmo, Cash App, whatever whatever mode you have to give me money, I'll I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll start. But yeah. you know, the condition is that there's just no expectations really embedded in that, mm-hmm. except that. You have some degree of confidence in my sensibility mm-hmm. and my priorities, and you're willing to, to give me money for it. And then on top of that, you know, and, and then that, that that has emerged as a workable That's system great. for me individually uh, on top of the other writing work that I do. Um, and, yeah, it's... Uh, no, that's great. I saw that, and you know, we just started our Patreon here. Okay, uh, because we got to pay. We got to make sure everything's happening every month. We had a we had an interesting interesting. We have uh, we do seasons on the show, and uh, we had some sponsors for our second season, and our and um, sponsors were unwilling to move forward for the next season. Um, um, and we just had. Um, what, we did, just had. Do they object a, to the political content, or what was some the of it? I think. Okay. I, I just. I think that um, they got. You know, we we had some individuals up here that were very aggressive on social media, um, which I just blocked after a while. Like usually, I don't block anybody, but I'm like, I just don't have time, mm. you know, for it. Um, but you know, and there's there's a lack of clarity, but. 
Got found. Uh, okay, we we need to we need to raise some money some different ways. So right. I do I do a um, I do a fifteen to thirty minute afterthoughts. Okay. After each episode, so I'll do a little live stream on Patreon, and Very people nice. can can interact. And I'll say, "Here's my conversation with Michael Tracy," and okay. I'll tell all my real thoughts about you afterwards. All right. so you know, you'll, so you'll, you'll trash me. For, uh, yeah, for, exclusively for the patrons. Exclusively for the patrons. Yeah. That's right. You know, hey. You know, it's, it's if it's like really that. good. My my patrons don't get anything exclusive. They just do it out of the kindness of their hearts, which is, <laughs> which you know, that says a lot actually, yeah. because it just means that people like to hear your hear what you have to say, and yeah. they love and that got, that you're actually doing reporting that doesn't seem to be happening. Yeah, it was sort of similar. Like I started uh, the Patreon back when one of my main focuses was the whole RussiaGate issue, and people were willing to pay even then, not because I. And, and, that wasn't as a result of me going around and like unearthing new reporting. It was just mm-hmm. a, the perspective that I applied to the already existing materials, which were, were so capacious that you really had to have it as a full-time job to follow okay. all the ins and outs of that story. I mean, court documents, congressional testimonies, the whole kit and caboodle. Right. And most people who have normal lives can't spend hours and no. hours a day reading yeah. these, you know, uh, inscrutable reports and things. Um, so it's, it's, it's a matter of people having some degree of alignment or affinity from, to my just style, my sense of the world and giving me the latitude to do what I feel is most suitable on Mm -hmm. any given day or week or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then that's nice. I feel like that, that, that fosters a certain connection with an audience that doesn't also then require me to pander to an audience or cater to them. It's just you're giving me money because you feel like I have the right approach. Not because you feel you have some kind of guarantee of me giving you anything or producing something that that you agree with. Yeah. A lot of people, when they send me little notes with their contributions, it's like, I don't agree with you half of the time, and that's fine. I said, okay, perfect. Because, like, I'm not – a lot of the people in this kind of fledgling industry of crowdfunded media, which I think is good for the most part, but there is a temptation – to be a little too eager to just satisfy the whims of oh. your audience and, and and give them the red meat that they want oh, man. constantly, that, and I feel like that's that's yeah. also that, that's just as corrupting and corrosive as some of the traits that are more identifiable and identifiable with the legacy old guard media. So yeah. you have to be you have to be constantly on the lookout for any source. A possible temptation. Not that I'm immune to it, but at least I can see that that's a trajectory that is possible to go down <laughs> if you're not careful. Yeah, I I will say that it was it was really interesting. I was I've just noticed a lot on like Facebook and even a little bit on Twitter, but more on Facebook that um, different personalities that are you know activists, conservative activists. Well, hey, they'll just tell the report and they'll give their two cents about it. And it's like a like a five minute, three minute, five minute video, and they're crushing the numbers. I mean, they're getting paid a ton of money. Uh-huh. You know, like I'm like, wow. You know, I think I'll I'll point out one like um, the uh, black ex police officer Brandon Tatum. Mm. And he not does, familiar with him. So he so does basically a, they he just do like a like Facebook a five, video where they just do a does, roundup. He just does 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 like a, just does. Hey, this the, this is uh, sponsored by my merch store. And I'm oh. going to, so he plugs his merch store and then he, he, he says, this person said this and this, and then here's my hot take on it. It's super short, but I was just reviewing some of the, I'm, I'm like, 
millions of hits on these little five minute videos. Yeah. I'm like, wow, you know, so, but, but that's not reporting. That's not journalism. No, that's, that's hot. Just, that's hot. That's just a hot take, right? Yeah. And Hey, and nothing against that. No, nothing you know, against that, hot takes. Totally I proffer my own hot takes. But I was like, dude's crushing it. Yeah. I was shocked at how much um, you know, I, I just did the math in my head going, whoa. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a good sizzling hot take now and then. I mean, I got but a lot. I, I like to think that mine are at least informed by something a little bit more robust than just sounding off right. a latest issue. Like like, when, when, like a response. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like most of the time if I do have... I do have a YouTube channel, but I'm not one of these guys who's going to like spend three hours ranting about everything every day, right? I, if I do a video, yeah, it's usually in concert with an article that I publish yep. where my thoughts are relatively yep. well developed. Yeah, I'm not just spouting off. Yeah, and you did every now you and then. Also, about a week ago, right? Yeah, I think the last one was about a week ago. Like, yeah. maybe once or twice a week, I'll do just a, a stream where I'll talk about an article or something, yeah. and then you have the super chats, people. Uh, yeah. asking questions but I, I i don't like i feel like if you're every day you're just feeling like you have to give your opinion on everything it's just an inevitability that some of those opinions are going to be ill-informed or stupid right hmm. so and i feel like that that that's a pattern that a lot of people get into it's almost like talk talk radio like talk radio is yeah. a medium i feel like it's not how could it, how could it be I like listening to the talk radio sometimes just because of the artistry of it, mm-hmm. but it's not the most intellectually rigorous medium, let's face it. And you have yeah. a lot of people replicating that on YouTube where they feel like their opinion is so incredible that they have to just, you know, <laughs> muse about every topic under the sun. It's just like, you can't be a top, an expert on every topic under the sun. No, you can't. There's no way you have a unique perspective yeah. on every single topic yeah. in the news on a given day. Yeah. Okay. I like, so I like to be a little more targeted about it. Yep. And usually if I'm doing a video... Uh, where it's just me talking, it'll be tethered to something that I've written sure. or produced or produced or something yeah. rather than just yeah. Here, here's MT's you know hot take of the day. Yeah, and that's why I just only that's why I'm recording about the conversation I just had. Yeah, you know because I can have a hot take on this. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'd actually be curious to hear that. So you should yeah. rattle that. Yeah, hot take all right, I, I will make I will. it burning hot. Whoo! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so um, uh, you you cover a multitude of topics and it seems like um you've created a scope of not, I you know I don't know if you want to use the word expertise but um there's a there's a library of information that you walk around with so that you can uh, speak fairly fluently on most any issue concerning politics um some things with finance some different arenas that I've seen you kind of have touched on over the years mm-hmm. um what do you think is what do you think has caused um, cause you, you seem like very eclectic in, um, in the things that you'll cover, um, that kind of stuff. How, what do you think drives that? Cause you, you know, it doesn't seem like you try to stay in one lane. You're mm. all over the place. What's, well, I mean, politics is such a broad that's range. That's true. Uh, of, of topics that, in, it, that, that sort of quote intersect to use that term with, yeah. a, with, a, with a infinitely vast array. Yeah. Of, of other potential topics. So mm-hmm. that sort of requires you to constantly keep right. learning about different new phenomena out there in the mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Um, what drives that? I don't know. I feel like I was always a little bit innately curious. Like I would go home every day after school and spend like three hours just reading Wikipedia. That was the type of strange child I was where I would like end up. Mem- you can ask my high school friends about this. I would end up memorizing 
death dates. So I would just, I would, I would, we would play a game where we're like, name a date, a death date. So November 22nd, 1963 is the easiest one. And then they have, people, they have to guess who died on that date. Right. Um, JFK, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, you know, but I, I, I could, could get, get deeper. deeper yeah. Oh, I, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't, I'm not asking to play the game. <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I was the type of person who would go. I was the type of child who would go on Wikipedia every day after school and just read, just go down the wormhole, wow. which a lot of people do. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, uh, participating on forums uh, back when anonymity was still a thing on the internet. I guess it still technically is, but yeah, you anon- anonymity was just the expectation to reveal your true identity in those days on the internet was. Not unheard of, but very, right. uh, but very bizarre. If yeah. you were to, you know, associate your true identity with your online mm-hmm. identity, whereas now it's less tenable. Um, but you know, just, just engaging in a lot of back and forth debate about yeah. whatever the topic at hand was. I feel like the sort of that uh, uh, sort of develops some cognitive maybe patterns within me that drives me to do whatever it is I'm doing right now. I'm glad to hear you say that you feel my tastes or my levels of expertise are is, is eclectic. I don't know that I would call it expertise, but I do well, yeah, like to be I fluent. Yeah. I do yeah, like to be fluent, fluent in a yeah. wide range yeah. of topics. Like uh-huh. One example where I think that was relevant recently is that in analyzing some of the protest activity, I feel like if I... It, I feel... I felt uh, content that I had a little bit of background in studying religion. Like that was part, uh-huh. that was half of my major at college, essentially. Okay. Not half, but uh, it was a big fo- area of focus for me. Okay. And I, there were so many expressions of religious sentiment and zeal and, and, and fervor at these protests that I feel as if you were totally ignorant to that whole, you know, of the world, world yeah. of, of human yeah. experience. You, you missed a huge component of what those protests wow. were about. Wow. And that and, was a really good article that you wrote because you actually wrote on BLM yeah. and the religious aspects yeah. of it. Yeah. That was great. Yeah. And I feel like, but, but in order for me to be able to have written that, I had to synthesize disparate elements of knowledge that. Yeah. aren't strictly within the arena of politics or the strictly in the arena of religion, but are this curious overlap that just mm-hmm. happened to materialize. And But if you don't have the, the, the foundation of knowledge to begin with, mm-hmm. then you're lost. Um, so, yeah, I just... Yeah, it's but, interesting. But, 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 but I think the most important thing is just critical thinking. And maybe that sounds like a generalization, but you have to develop critical thinking skills in the field that I'm roughly in yeah. or else you just become a drone or you're uh-huh. just repeating talking points yep. and, or, you know, the, the, the old cliche was just you repackage press releases. That's not so much the case anymore because whoever wants to release a press release can just do it themselves. So you don't need a journalist as an intermediary, but you can still sort of train members of the media to operate <laughs> as a pack uh, where they're just kind of validating one another's presuppositions constantly. Correct. I just yeah. hate that. Yeah. That there's something there's something that mm. that's just viscerally almost offensive about that to me. Yeah. Which is why I am strident in my reluctance to engage in any behavior which resembles it. Yeah. So I was going to ask you what you think the biggest issue 
um, negatively at the moment is in the media. Do you feel like that's that's up there? What what do you think the biggest issue is right now? Because I I feel like there's a correction hopefully coming to the media. It seems like the way that things are going can't continue. Like at some point, someone's going to pull the plug on something um, because it's it's. Well, I mean, don't be so sure. Okay, yeah. It, See, there's my silver lining guy, right? One thing, that, <laughs> like, one thing that like the experts say about the pandemic is that things are going to get worse before they get better, and I feel like something similar probably applies okay. to the media. Okay. I mean, I I do think that there is a there is a reaction against the prevailing mindset of a lot of the media, which is opening up new opportunities. Mm-hmm. For people, largely through crowdfunding, but also maybe starting new publications. Right. I just think that the landscape is pretty expansive and amenable to new entrants okay. right now to present some alternative to mm-hmm. what you'd, you'd see at some of these more mainline venues. Because so, you're right, that is going to provoke a backlash. Um uh, but it also pre- presents an opportunity. I mean, why right. do people fund me? Uh, totally. You know, yeah. Uh, what my, my model here would not have been available in the very, relatively recent past. No. Um. So I so I take solace in that to That's some extent. Awesome. Yeah. Um. So I I, I don't I don't I don't I mm. I still you talk about you began with a note of optimism. I think this is actually an optimistic way to look at it. Is that notwithstanding the stifling intellectual and political environment that is a definite characteristic of a lot of yep. the media you have now a media uh, landscape or just because of social media because of all other possibilities here that that is is allowing people to rise to the top if they're presenting something new and unique and novel right um that in, in, in a manner that just wasn't possible before um so i i, I don't wouldn't allow that constricting uh, behavior, which is characteristic of, of a lot of the media, necessarily inhibit you from thinking that it's possible. There's a it's possible for you to produce something that's worthwhile, uh, just given the, the 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 range of possibilities that are are available now. Well, I, think- I mean, like I, I I'm I'm loathed by a lot of the media, and yet I can still write for mainstream newspapers and magazines and websites, and couple that with my crowdfunding and my other sort of social media stuff, and it's it's it works. Yeah. So if it works, for, if it works for me, I'm not a, I'm not a genius. Yeah. It can work for others. So there, there's two things. If you're a doctor and you're prescribing it, you know, if you're diagnosing the media, what's the biggest issue? Mutually reinforcing moral presumptuousness, where you don't even feel like you have to make an argument. That's you, you, beautiful. Your, your right. That was a great way to say it. Your, your rightness is just presumed. And anybody mm. who has a countervailing perspective is mm-hmm. likewise presumed to be morally defective. Wow, I think that's horrible. That, that, that's horrible epistemologically. Okay, and and if your epistemology is faulty in journalism, then that's going to taint everything you do. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Um, so you just mentioned that you were loathed by members of the media. Why? I don't know. You have to ask them. Have them come on to your <laughs> a- after show. Hey, I'm, 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 ha- I'm happy to hear. What's what's? Um, look, I, I generally don't pull punches when I feel yep. people have transgressed moral 
boundaries mm-hmm. where I feel like they are doing a disservice to the public in the way that they treat various issues. You know, for with Russiagate, I felt like the 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 role of the media in perpetuating what I feel to be a farce. Not that I feel it. What is a farce? I'm just going to assert that. And, and, and it has been proven to be. Yeah, but it had so many detrimental effects <laughs> was across a whole range. I mean, it, it, I wasn't even want to get down that rabbit, go down that rabbit hole because it's going to get me, you know, worked up. Um, but I, I feel like it did damage societally. I agree. In terms yeah. of the way that the media treated that mm-hmm. issue constantly hyping still, up it's still around it's still like oh yeah it's still around I'm I mean, like how is this still a it's thing? like it's like a dead body that's still dragged behind <laughs> your pickup truck or something yeah um and so if i feel the media is behaving in ways that are harmful to the polity then i'm going to react harshly to that yeah, yeah. um okay. uh, and I rub people the wrong way. Like I, I guess that can be a br- rather abrasive at you, times. You can be a rather abrasive at times. I accept that. Yeah, I accept totally. that. But what I don't accept is when people try to conflate that with me being like unkind on a personal level. Like most of these people, even many who hate me and who troll me constantly and have for years, literally, this is the case in certain <laughs> for certain individuals. Some of them I've happened to meet at public events. Coincidentally, and get along. Not that I want to. Ha- not that I'm trying to hang out with them, but if we're in a situation where it's just social niceties and you get your a normal, well-adjusted person would just have a pleasant conversation. Yeah, I can, of course can do it. I'm not. They they conflate abrasiveness on matters of principle or on matters of public interest mm-hmm. with. You being somehow an awful person on your in your personal right, life, right? Yeah, that's where the and that's that, what's that 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 I I don't accept in terms of my abrasiveness. Can I be acerbic on Twitter? Yeah, I'll accept that. <laughs> I think it was made for that. A little yeah, bit, yeah. You know, um, yeah. Blame the algorithm. Don't blame me. Yeah, come on. That's right. That's right. I didn't type all those letters. So the uh, the um, one of the one of the things that. Um, you're doing right now is you're, you're traveling across the country. We talked a lot about, uh, Minneapolis. We talked, um, a bit about that. So, so tell me kind of what's, what's the drive here as you head across the country and what are you finding? Well, again, not, I, to, not to give away your, your upcoming works, but. Well, I mean, there's not, not, a, not a big secret necessarily to unveil. Um, I was motivated to do this trip because I didn't feel confident that I could get the correct information about the effects of these riots in particular, as well as the protests. I mean, I spent a lot of time as protests as well when that was still the phase of it. Right. Um, I just didn't feel confident in the portrayals that I would be receiving secondhand from any media source. So I wanted to the best of my ability to seek it out myself. Yeah. Talk to people, synthesize the information, document it. And try to come up with a, 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 a synthesis of what what happened because i mean if if it's true that we had the most histor- that we had the biggest movement quote unquote ever in us history as well as perhaps the biggest riots in us history at least since the 1960s yeah in terms of the geographic scope yeah. and prevalence you know 
that requires some sustained attention to figure out and to diagnose and to yeah uh, situate within the context of current political and social happenings, right? Um, so that was my my basic motivation, and I've been sort of staggered by just the sheer number of boarded up establishments that I've seen across the country. And I've only seen a tiny, tiny fraction of them because I can't be everywhere. But where I have been, I mean, you go to, in, I was in Manhattan, right? When there was the curfew was still, was underway. And I was able to, I got into the curfew area and drove around. The streets were deserted. It was completely eerie. I mean, most, there, I, you can't drive around Manhattan and have the streets just be clear. It's just, Almost That's unthinkable. So crazy. Um, it's, it's, a, it's apocalyptic after, yeah, feeling. It was. Right? It was. It was apocalyptic. It was yeah. dystopian. Yeah, yeah. It was block after yeah. block after block of boarded up places in, in Manhattan in the, in the ritzy areas too, like Soho. Yeah. Um, and then you go to the Bronx, where I also went, and you have a lot of boarded up places in the Bronx too, which is like a destitute area that almost seems like a riot could have happened at any time. Uh, in terms of how it just visually looks, but there were riots and, and looting in the well, more probably more accurate to say looting mm. in the Bronx okay. than riots. Whereas Minneapolis it was riots for sure, but Philadelphia definitely riots. You had the residential buildings burned down, National Guard deployed, um, uh, Atlantic City, like I said, mm-hmm. riots in the boardwalk. Would any I, I wouldn't have known about that unless I had intentionally sought out the information because I happened to see across my feed that there was a small protest in Atlantic City. And then I looked into it, but that's not going to impinge so on the consciousness of most people. No, and it should, yeah. Because if you have mass nationwide simultaneous riots, that's something new. We've had riots in the past, some of which are tied to a specific event like the assassination of Martin Luther King, right? But there was a unique historically novel quality to all this I feel like it just has not been ascertained yet so I feel, almost felt like it was ob- my obligation to at least play a part in attempting to do that yeah um, and so I, if, I was initially just going to go to mini, just going to have my, Minneapolis be my final okay. destination but then I sort of reconsidered so you know what I'm going to keep first of all we have COVID happening right now which is sort of surreal in its own way totally so if I'm going to be out at any time just kind of gauging the sentiments of the populace. Now would be it. It's the summer, so so okay, I'll go to Seattle. Then I'll figure out from there and see if see how many days days straight Portland's yeah riots go, are gone. Yeah, I'm going to go to Port- five days now. Straight, yeah, I'm going to so. go to Portland as well, where uh, there were federal. I just read an article uh, a day or two ago about the federal. I don't even know what agency necessarily, but some federal law enforcement entity is present in Portland. Right now, guarding the guarding federal, the federal right? Yeah. Exactly, and I want to, you know, yeah, I'd like to get a look see at that. Um, yeah, well, so there's there's just plenty to see right now, plenty to report on, plenty that is not getting any attention <laughs> yeah, otherwise, or very right. little attention otherwise yeah, in the national yeah. media. So huh. if I can be corrective on that, uh-huh. then I'll, I'll do so, and people fund me fund me for it. So that's awesome. Man. What else am I going to do? That's Sit awesome. home. Well, give me your hot take on Sandpoint, North Idaho. What do you think? I like the lack of humidity. I know that's mm-hmm. a very trivial. That's true. But, but in terms of quality and of we're life, we're on the water, important. and it's yeah, yeah, we're on the water. It's it's nice. I I like. You know, one thing that strikes me every every time I come to the big sky country is that the sky really is bigger, isn't it? 
It really is. I want to, I, 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 and I had made a mental note to like look into whatever the, <laughs> what is the actual like biological reason for that? What is the atmospheric effect of that? Is it going to be, can it be explained scientifically? I'm sure it probably can. Yeah. Uh, but it, it definitely is striking. So just in terms of the, the appearance of the place, I, I, I enjoy, um, I there, there seems to be just a um, a sense of contentedness in the mm. area, a sense of uh, maybe societal cohesion. Wow, that you don't really see necessarily elsewhere. Maybe I'm extrapolating too much from my limited experience. I've only been here a couple of days. Um, I don't know. I just get a a certain kind of vibe. Uh, in the yeah, area okay. that is a little bit more just optimistic and tenor. I think, yeah. Than, I think for the average, the, I think for the average person, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think for those that are stuck in their Facebook groups, absolutely not. Right. Right. Well, that, that's, that's, that doesn't matter if you're yeah. in Idaho or anyplace else. If you're all stuck in your Facebook groups fighting about politics, you're not going to have the most optimistic outlook. No. No. Yeah. It's, it is, uh, it is interesting. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, like, even, a lot of people associate Idaho, I guess, going back to the '90s with the militia culture. Mm-hmm. I just happen, you, I and just happen to, Ridge and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just t- talked to some of those militia guys earlier today, and they just really defy easy caricature. Um, so, but but they have that definitely is a type that's around here. Uh, but you know, they're they're more interested in in communitarianism mm-hmm. and looking out for one another than you might expect given just the reductive portrayals of oh, well, militia that tend to be yeah. what you would get in a mainstream media venue. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, it's really interesting because the, the, the national um, politics uh, between left and right. And I want to uh, get a, get just a couple more things and we'll get you yeah. out of here. Um, it's interesting because some of the national with the national politics, stuff you know it really you know um creates a huge local divide you know where you sit yeah. it's uh, it's surprising me how intense the local divide is around yeah you know they mentioned they mentioned that earlier today when i was talking to them i was like okay so do you mean like local issues or national issues both everything everything is polarized here in sandpoint idaho and i found that a little bit surprising because it's a, it contradicts what I just said in terms of the cohesion or That's the sense of like, contentedness. Oh, interesting. So maybe I'm totally wrong. Person, I think the average person is absolutely totally like like we all get along. Like everybody gets along in real life, um, and which is why I have to work with people and do stuff with people. And some of these people that were being very very aggressive, trolly online, I'm like, I don't want to have that interactions with you because I got to sit with you in this in the checkout line. Right. Like I'm not interested in like this does no good because you're worried about well even if it's state politics or whatever on like just enough of the accusations I'm going to move on. Um right. and, and so so what what is interesting is like um one of the things that's happening here is that anybody who's uh, considered conservative or uh patriot um, right. are, are being labeled as white nationalist KKK, that type of stuff. Right. So there's still this weird, this weird, um, because we have had 
white nationalists and uh, Aryan nation. And um, uh, we still have like an Aryan nation church here in town. You know, it's like there's. Oh, is there? I didn't realize. Yeah. That. Yeah. So should pay them a visit. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't know them. Right. At all, um, I've I've had a couple. Of oh, I shouldn't pay them a business. I denounced that. Never mind. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So so, <laughs> um, I no, but but and to Actually, them, no, it's, I, I to should, them, it's a the, religious thing, right? I, I it's, know, a, people, it's a religious. People could snip it at me jokingly saying that I would go visit the Aryan Nation Church and use it again. Oh, it's, because yeah, yeah, you're looking for your buddies. Um, yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's pretty bad that the way that um, social media works. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I think that there's, there's still some strongholds of that in here around here, but to me, the people who are conflating, like, so the gentleman that, that you met with today with being that um, just, it's just it, lazy. It's lazy. It's analytically inaccurate. It, 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 so why not just present people as what they actually are? Why fold it into this broader, this this inaccurate white yeah. nationalism narrative yeah. just because it, it just because it bolsters whatever your sort of yeah. national I think it may I think are. it does I think I think the lazy thing is uh, might be accurate but one thing that I think really might be at play is that it it creates a sense of power yeah, I yeah, think like you, for can, some you people, can lord over somebody yeah. with, these, with with the specter of this accusation yeah. Drop yeah. at any time, which is obviously very incendiary. It is very incendiary. That, that, that's a yeah. that's a significant power to wield. Yeah, you and, can tarnish somebody with that. And I think um, I, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who leans pretty hard left, and I lean pretty far right. So like not hard right, just you know center right. And so I'm having this conversation with him about that, and I said, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if the left quit calling everybody Nazis and white nationalists, like? Wouldn't we actually find out who really is if we yeah. could like? Because there are some bonafide white nationalists they, out there. They do exist, but they do. But it makes it a little bit more difficult to identify them because when I don't agree with the you category politically. You so must, dramatically, you yeah. must have this inherent bias. So, so I wanted to find out a little bit on on your take on um, kind of the motivators and drivers that you're seeing in an unhealthy fashion with with BLM. You know, I had, I had, I had a, the local BLM group on and we sat and talked for hour and a half and very substantive conversation. It was great. They, they were very, you know, cordial. I asked some questions that I think were maybe, you know, a little difficult just around, you know, understanding the, you know, feels like everything is, is being, um, all of this is being kind of couched in this, um, uh, critical race theory, and um, not Can I interrupt that really quickly because not... I find it interesting that that would be the analysis applied to like a Sandpoint, Idaho, where there are virtually yep. no black people. Correct. Right? Yes. <laughs> so how? What's the relevance there? I mean, I'm assuming the people you had on the show were white, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And yet they're representing Black Lives Matter, which is you know in theory fine, but interesting that they would take up that mantle in a place where there's. You know, it's just a uni- racially uniform place, which I guess maybe they they might find offensive on its own. That, I think that 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 is offensive. You yeah. know that it is a it is not a diverse, you know, culture. Ninety six percent white. You know, um, I think I think also there's a there is this push um, to feel like it's just something I see um, is a, a push to um, try to right that wrong 
if you are white, wherever you are, period. Right. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, like you have to stand Your up and do something. Your entire life has to be suffused. You have to begin to, 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 right. to deal with this issue wherever you are, even if it's 96% white, doesn't matter. You need to deal with this this issue of white privilege and, and all the problems that you have because you're, you know, that you've created because of your white. Um, so it's an, it was an interesting conversation. It was a really good conversation. I really appreciated them coming on. I, I don't necessarily agree with that. And I asked, I asked a few questions that I think, you know, were a little challenging, but you know, um, what are you seeing? What are you seeing with that nationally? I know that, that you, you did see the religious um, zealotry um, right. behind it. Uh, what else are you seeing with that? With the Black Lives um, Matter movement, because it's super divisive, it seems to be, you know, polarizing. Yeah, I think what's very interesting about it, and this was observable at the protest components of it. I know, I know you did actually have a you had a small protest in Sandpoint, Idaho, which to me is just sort of fascinating unto itself. Like a Black Lives Matter protest orchestrated by whites. In Sandpoint, Idaho, that formula is just sort of interesting uh, on its own very, terms. And, and to me, it's just very empathetic people, yeah. right? People have a high level of empathy and a high level of like, I want to help. I want to do something. We watch the video. We see, you know, like your heart goes right. out and you're like, oh, man, you're hearing the stories of how bad it is um, in so many different places. So but, I think but, it's but, a high empathy. But the fact that. Thing. The fact that even in northern Idaho, you could have this movement take shape mm-hmm. is suggestive to, to, to me that there is something very historically unique about this phenomenon. And we I still don't have totally a perfect, we don't, yeah. still don't have a great sense of it, or it hasn't been defined, at least to my satisfaction yet, uh, in terms of its, you know, the contours of it. Um, so that's something that's worth noting already correct the, yeah the geogra- the sheer geographic prevalence of it um but i I've, I've been to some of these i went to some of these more suburban protests in addition to one of the big cities uh where you'd have no media coverage I and mean, people would barely even know that they ever happened if i hadn't been to them and again i only went to a minuscule fraction so i'm almost curious now like what did i miss you right um and i so i, I went to uh a protest that was near uh, where I grew up in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, a place called Bloomfield, New Jersey, where you'd never have expected any protest activity ever. I mean, it's just not something that would ever occur to you could have possibly happened in Bloomfield, New Jersey, or at least within living memory. I don't think I, yeah. I would never have thought. Um, it was interesting to me because it, it almost becomes like a civic event. I mentioned this in the piece that you yeah, referenced, yeah. where it has this state backing. You have the police who are involved in carrying out the event. They haven't just sanctioned it. They're, they're participants. The mayor comes out and participates. Mm-hmm. It almost is reminiscent to me of like a, a, a something with a protest sheen over like a, a, a civically authorized event, like a, almost akin – it's like a, a Christmas tree gathering, <laughs> right? Or, uh, yeah. or or a Fourth of July celebration, right? It's like yeah. that kind of communal yeah. Yeah. engagement with a with, but but under the auspices of a protest. And protest doesn't seem like quite the right word in that context because it like, you're not protesting against the centers of power if they're like you, cooperating with you to carry out yeah. this event. Yeah, even, so that's what we need like a new word. And in that, in that piece, I sort of like tentatively 
coined state-backed demonstration as a term, especially because in a lot of these places, not Idaho, but in New Jersey, definitely in New York, other places, right? They violated the laws in place around COVID. Yeah, that limited mass gatherings. Yeah, L.A. Yeah, L.A. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and the one in Philly was huge. That was definitely a violation. <laughs> but even some of the smaller ones yeah, were, yeah, yeah. were violations. So, like in this, I was in this place, Schwenksburg, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. southeastern Pennsylvania, right? the The member of Congress from that district happened to be there. I didn't even know she was going to be there, Madeline Dean. And so I went up to her and said, "Hey, Congresswoman, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just looked up the Montgomery County." ordinance around mass gatherings in relation to COVID and 25 people or less is still the legal standard here. And she's like, Hmm, I don't really know. So that she, so the, the, the protest was of such unimpeachable moral authority in her mind or, or political sanctity wow. in her mind that didn't even occur to her to go check to see if it was legal. Or if it abided by the terms of the regulations around the pandemic that were still operative yeah. in Pennsylvania yeah. at that point. And so clearly it, it's a, it, 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 that it was a different type of phenomenon that sort of transcended any other category that we could apply to it. Uh, because it was, it, was state, yeah. it, was, it was state-backed, and yet it was a protest. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be conspiratorial about it. I don't think there was a conspiracy underlying much of any of it. I think it truly was organic, which almost makes it more powerful. Interesting, well, yeah. and it makes it very powerful, yeah. especially if it's organic. Yeah, well, it is. It is interesting. I, Another I, interesting f- yeah. observation mm-hmm. is that in many cases, especially in the urban, the big city protests, like so, for example, Chicago. I was at a rally or a march on Juneteenth, which is this African American right. holiday, right? June nineteenth, yeah. <clears throat> Which you know, I'm actually in favor of making that a national. Yeah, why not? why not? I don't. Seems yeah. like a relatively get it positive thing to commemorate each other. Yeah, so absolutely. Swap, yeah, and swap that out for Columbus Day. It's fine with me. <laughs> um, but there was a march during the day that was I don't want probably like ninety ninety five percent white people on a doing a Juneteenth march. Yeah, and it turned out. That the marchers, the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter marchers on Juneteenth were <laughs> less diverse than the police force. Wow, Protecting trailing them, them and yeah. patrolling the march, which is, I mean, come on, that's pretty straightforwardly ironic. And yet, if you point that out, people get super angry. Isn't that interesting? Because I mean, you you can either. Like, if you point it out, I think, in a way like, oh, that's stupid, then, you know, it's ironic. Yeah. Should you celebrate it? Maybe. Like, I don't have a judgment. Like, yeah. great. You know, like, okay, maybe maybe that's a great – maybe maybe the idea that, that your voice is being heard and that white people across America are really in solidarity to see some massive things change. Maybe that's a celebration point. Yeah, but, the, but you instead, know? weirdly – and I'm just relaying yeah, what I see on yeah, my yeah, social yeah. media. So this is not necessarily applicable to everybody. But I, often when I just make a straightforward demographic <laughs> observation, yeah. people get really mad and defensive. Yeah. So yeah. why is it that? Why, why is that? Are they huh. why are they are they, why are they sensitive about 
those observations. There's some maybe underlying contradiction there that they're a little uneasy about yeah. elucidating, you know, or at least yeah. somebody somebody pointing out. I mean, come on. Uh, the police yeah. are more diverse than your march. That's I, I, I don't even I don't even mock it. I mean, for for my purposes, at least most of the time, it was sufficient to simply relate it or to 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 capture it and document it. Yeah, because sociologically, it's just in, interesting. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Do you think that um, you've been fairly critical of the you know people on the left um, and how they've kind of been um, interacting, responding um, to a lot of things, even, you know, I think even in, in some of the political and social issues. Um, what do you see happening on the left right now um, as a movement? Well, I mean, the left is not a unified movement. Um, That's very true. So neither is the right. Yeah. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it's interesting. It's going to be. Uh, worth keeping tabs on how the activist left refashions itself now that they don't have a tribune in Bernie. Not that Bernie consume necessarily all left support it ended up getting slightly splintered mm -hmm. in the primaries but for the really committed activist left yeah bernie was the real yeah. deal right in terms of their support and that was a five-year continuous project correct yeah um so the, but then at the very point where you'd have you'd expect to have a like several months worth of vicious infighting and recriminations, the pandemic really kicked into high gear. So we kind of glossed over that. Yeah. And okay. So the left really didn't have its period of reckoning okay. with the Bernie campaign. Now, uh -huh. I and one of my friends, Angela Nagel, wrote a long article in a journal that attempted to do that, uh, which, surprise, surprise, people got really angry about. No. No. Can you believe it? Um but by and large, given the enormity of the Bernie project, at least in terms of its centrality to the left. Uh, it's uh, huge. It was huge. Huge. But you didn't really have a whole lot of self-critical evaluation of why it went wrong, quote unquote. I mean, he was thought to be very likely the nominee in 2020. Yeah. I thought that he had a very good chance of being the nominee. I in did too. I, I really, um, yeah. And he lost to Joe, Sleepy Joe. Okay, so... Where is the – and by the way, Bernie probably could have won the general election in 2020 because I don't think – because Trump's going south at this point. So yeah. any Democrat likely would have won, including probably Joe Biden. Now, um, so they could have had a Democratic Socialist in the U.S. presidency. Yeah. That would have been fairly wild. Um, Pretty crazy. Yeah. And they squandered the opportunity. So you would expect some really sustained – intense introspection about why they didn't come to pass. And it just was really, did, it just did, didn't happen. I think for, for a variety of reasons, one of which the pandemic, but also because a lot of people vested their own professional fortunes and, 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 a, and reputation into the Bernie orbit. Right. So they would be indicted by any mm, critique of it. Mm, um, mm. And so that they, wow, so that they withheld it. 
Um, and so that I feel like it's going to it's really diminish the ability of the quote left to uh, reformulate itself okay. in a in an improved fashion right. uh, later on. And I feel like and I think now the left is largely irrelevant. I think Biden will make some overtures, and he has made some overtures. To the left, and I think you'll have more of a left actually support for Biden than you would have had for Hillary Clinton. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I think it's like well, Biden, Biden, Biden is just seems a better malleable. Yeah, he's he's more malleable. He's he's just, he, I think he's just a better politician than Hillary Clinton. Uh, more amenable to coalition building, right? Because right. he's a little bit more of a blank slate. I mean, Hillary yeah. Clinton had a whole network of sycophants going back decades yeah. around her and Bill Biden. Not so much uh, some sycophants, but like. Not anywhere near the same magnitude. Um, so, hmm. yeah, just the, the 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 left is in like a rebuilding stage now. Uh, or you, not even a, rebuilding is kind of a cliche. They're more of like getting their their bearings, but they 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 passed over the requisite step in any rebuilding, which was to evaluate why the building crumbled. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, well, and I think you see you got some superstars rising up finally, you know, on the left, like an AOC and others that seem to um, be uh, able to take up some of that some of that air that Bernie had, you know, some of it. But I mean, AOC rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> and she rubs she's me the wrong way, too. She's, but, like, yeah. she's a cultural warrior. Yes. I Some of her policy prescriptions I, I probably agree with, but she has a. She has a sensibility where she's always lobbing these culture war grenades, and, and you yeah, know, you know, I I'm more of a Tulsi person because she doesn't, sure. she's she's averse to that temperamentally, yeah, while yeah. still being you know a, a policy on the left policy yep. wise, yeah. Yep. Um, so I feel like you know hmm. she, Tulsi versus AOC. I mean, there's no question who I'm Just talking Tul- about. Tulsi doesn't seem to carry influence in on the left though. Not so much, which is a t- a, an indictment of the left. I would, think. I yeah, she's because she has a she has a sensibility which I think would have mass appeal. I think I thought that yeah. if she had been able to get onto the debate stages, you know, consistently, she yeah, could have she done was, really well. Yeah, they but they were yeah. they they used every trick in the book to pretty crazy impede her. Um, yeah. Well, yeah, she, she, but she is. She's, her, 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 she has a. I would call her sort of like a left nationalist. Uh huh. Yeah. Which is a pop something that's around popular. popular around the world. It, and 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 this is that concept of populist. The the populism seems to be like, you know, take care of home. Yeah. But but also yeah. within that left nationalism, she has a sort of like a libertarian streak where she has sort of a. More reflexive skepticism of of, uh, of state power, uh-huh. which I think is healthy. It's always healthy to have like one libertarian in the room, just checking your instincts. Not that she's a libertarian; she's yep. not. Yep. Thanks, Rand. But she's not. Yeah, yep. yeah. But she's not just like a, <laughs> she's not just going to reflexively say. She, she's going to have a different disposition than like yeah, yeah, yeah. Things. Yeah, and I think yeah. you know that would have mass appeal if she yeah. wasn't brutally marginalized and vilified by the media, including a lot yeah. of the left media. Which is part of the reason why I have such a lot of uh, such resentment for people who claim to be these left wing media superstars, partially because how they they treated her in a way that I felt was just despicable and such a mischaracterization of who she was. 
Uh, yeah, a Russian asset and other things. It's kind All of crazy. That. I mean, the list goes yeah, on. Yeah, kind of crazy. Um, so what's what do you see as being some of your biggest challenges as you kind of close out your trip and head on to your next next thing? Smooth sailing? Person, smooth sailing. I mean, yeah, cool. really. I mean, uh, the, the challenge for me is just to juggle organizationally everything I need to get done right on a given day. Because, like, at least for me, you only have a few hours of writing time per day that are productive. Correct, I, could, right. I, I couldn't spend 12 hours a day just writing. I'd go insane. Right. I'd have a two or three hour window to get my actual raw writing work done mm-hmm. on any given day. Um, and sometimes that's not enough to complete tasks in the most timely fashion. So the, the, yeah. the, only, up to the struggle is purely personal in terms of my routine schedule uh that sometimes i feel like i don't live right. up to my fullest expectations but yeah discipline in, 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 self-discipline is always the thing right yeah but i mean i do have i have a pretty good routine but i always feel like it can be improved you yeah know? yeah well, that's good that's but, good but other stuff is you know fine yeah good good and then um um any big plans for once you're done with your road trip not really take play it by ear i mean the road trip is i'm probably going to be another two or three weeks because i have to oh good for you get to seattle and then i have to go all the way back so yeah 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 and i, well, always, awesome. and I you know i always find interesting things to do along the way of course you, you mentioned on on twitter one of the best things about being what would you say semi-popular or whatever on uh, well i mean if yeah. you have a, if you have a large enough following and uh-huh. you just reveal where you are geographically people will send you loads Dude, of recommendations as to where, do this yeah. yeah 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 and it's like you're getting hyper local recommendations uh-huh. As to what you should do in like a Sandpoint, Ohio, Idaho, uh-huh. um, and that's yeah, that that that's something which is just unambiguously great about Twitter. There's <laughs> plenty of downsides, but yeah, in terms of people just feeding you recommendations about where to go, things to do, what to check out, etc., uh, that are super fine tuned to where you yeah. happen to be, like sometimes down to the uh, corner of this, like a, a street corner. Yeah, um, right. You, you can't you can't be Twitter for that. That's awesome. It's very, it's very, and I've, and I've done that, you know, not that I necessarily actively solicit it, but if I say, oh, I'm in so-and-so place, you'll inevitably get like 25 messages recommending things. And it's just, yeah, no doubt. It's very interesting. Well, that, like, that's people would where... pay for that as a service, <laughs> right? Absolutely. And I get Absolutely. it. Absolutely. without even Yeah, like, that's awesome. <laughs> well, and I'm like, hey, if you're yeah. you know, you're hitting 990, I'm 45 minutes north. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's perfect. So um, did you have any questions for me? Um, you know, I don't know if, if give you, you know, any, any questions that you have for me being Sandpoint, local. I think perspective. so. I, mean, I, th- uh, I should. No, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think we've we've exhausted most topics of this. That's point. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, appreciate you. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit down uh, and have the chat. I was I like, it. I was like, ah, I hope I was hoping we would be able to do it, and it worked out. So yeah, that's I, awesome. feel, I, I feel I uh, feel edified from it. So that's good no for yeah I good feel like yeah. a sense of satisfaction of, about having done it so. yeah good well i'm 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 glad and i'll uh of course i'll, I, I'll, I'll, I, I guess i'm a I, I sort of wish i was a little bit more familiar with sandpoint specific issues so we could have a more local discussion sure yeah um yeah 
But maybe, and that, maybe that, in the future. Yeah, man, you're you're traveling across the country. You can't do that for every single stop that's that true, you got, so. you know. So no pressure. Uh no hey, pressure. At least there. I'm here. At least I came to Sandpoint. No, that's great. And I I, I think that um I think Sandpoint is unique in that um um we really have a passionate community. Like we really care about each other, like that co- yeah. cohesive thing. Everybody knows each other, and, and and we have a ton of people moving up here right now that have no clue about how we do life up here. Hmm. So I think that knowing that someone who uh, is in here and goes, "Oh, this place feels like it feels good." That's a great. That's just yes. great yes. feedback. One I, I, I like for that. You is like, what is the main thing that people moving in don't understand about the way of life? Oh, okay. In Sandpoint, like, what yeah. would be the top item on that list? Well, there's, there's, um, people usually come up with two perspectives. Number one is I don't want it to look like where I came from. Okay. So they, they just like, they come from, uh, an area where they feel like, um, the government has overreached and they come up here because they know we've got kind of an independent spirit up here. That's like anti, a very strong group of people that are anti-government. Um, and, um, and so a lot of people move up here with that mindset, the problem with that is that they think that this is a bastion with no government. <laughs> and so there, there's this inherent uh, tension between county, city, government, and some of that stuff that happens from people that move here um, looking for a place where they are totally outside of government reach. And no, actually, they're still a city government. They're still like, mm-hmm. you know, so there's a little there's tension around that. The other one um, is that. um People get frustrated that we, uh, being a small town, don't don't uh, provide all the things that they're used to. So when they move up here, they're they're looking for all the things that they had. And um, and one of the, I a lot of people move up here in the summer and they leave in the winter because the winters here are tough. Um, mm. They're they're very intense. But as far as like the mindset up here, we're very independent. Um, and even even in the um, um, the city's mind is different than the county mind, like the city in the city of Sandpoint, um, you know, has a, has a different, completely different, uh, mindset than the county. Um, so there's, How so, uh, so the city, uh, tends to lean uh, and, and here, I want to say it carefully. Um, the city tends to be more, um, what I would say liberal or progressive in the sense that it's more, um, open, more arts oriented, more, right. you know, it's just kind of got the, um, left leaning feel to it. Um, and some of the politicians and people in politics here lean, lean left. And a lot of people who buy in Sandpoint lean left. So if there's any real left activism, it's in the city of Sandpoint. Most everybody outside <laughs> in the County right. lean pretty hard, right? Right. And so you've got this little, little, you know, left center, center left in the, in, in the city. And then outside you've got a center, right, far right, you know, um, to the point of, of, um, you know, the anti-government, like a little bit beyond libertarian minded people up here. So, right. You know, I mean, that's the, that's the tension. That makes sense. You know, and I don't know if it's abnormal. I don't think it's abnormal for most places, you know, but Maybe it is. I don't know. It's probably a particular kind of Idaho specific uh, flavor to it. Absolutely, because because right. you know we definitely have that um, have the the Western, um, yeah, kind of a Western independent 
you know, the rugged man, you know, right. Lone Ranger. Well, that's style. me, a rugged man, as you can there tell. There you go. <laughs> I, I, my, there was no barber services available in New Jersey for a yeah. long time, and I've just gone with it. You know, yeah, yeah, and and we're we're glad to still, um, you know, the the pandemic was really late coming here, really late. So you know, we had six cases for eight weeks or something, and then right. you know the last three weeks it's been, you know, but yeah, that's expected. So I expected it anyways. So I think we've exhausted our options we have. tonight. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for coming on. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Great. All right. Well, you can check out the afterthoughts. I'll send you a link. All right. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find out more about this podcast at bonnerbreakdown.com. You can also support this show and get personal video updates and thoughts from our host at patreon.com slash bonnerbreakdown. Thank you for joining us in the conversation.